Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. Katy Perry joins a long list of music stars like George Harrison, Michael Bolton, and Robin Thicke, who've been found guilty of stealing songs, or to phrase it in a nicer way, guilty of copyright infringement. A jury awarded Christian rapper Marcus Gray $2.78 million. They found that Perry's hit song, Dark Horse, Let's copied Gray's song, Joyful Noise. Your boy's been a Christian quite a few years. Yeah. Victory and faith, but I failed in my fears. Man. I heard a lot of words that have tickled many ears. Joining me is intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Cat & Muchin. So, Terry, Marcus Gray claimed that Perry's song stole his underlying beat. What did the jury have to find to come to its verdict? Is it just listening to the two songs, or is there more? Well, they have to find two things. They first have to find that the defendants had some access to the copyrighted song. In other words, that there was an opportunity for them to have heard the song or be aware of the song. And in addition, they also had to find that there was a substantial similarity between the beats in the two songs. Now, one of Perry's defenses gets a little complicated. It's a claim that Gray's copyright registration for the Beats wasn't valid, and this was only about the Beats. Fundamentally, what the jury and the court held was that the song had copied the beat of Joyful Noise. So, yes, it was limited to the beat, and the copyright validity argument was a technical argument as to whether or not it had been properly registered. That was ruled upon by the court. And so the jury was really left to decide the fundamental issue as to uh, whether or not there was a substantial similarity between the beats and the two songs. So you had professional musicologists testifying about whether the two songs were similar. Why have them testify at all if the verdict is based on the decision of a jury of laymen? And is that what it should be, a jury of laymen? Well, that's the question that we're increasingly hearing. You had the Blurred Lines song with a very substantial verdict awarded. Just recently, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven was attacked, although Led Zeppelin prevailed in that lawsuit. And the question being raised in legal circles that are involved with music copyright is, is can we really entrust this decision to a jury any longer? The instruction the court gives them is under the totality of the circumstances, do you detect a substantial similarity between the two songs, specifically the beats in the two songs? 
And that's a pretty broad writ to give to lay people with no musical background when it's generally accepted by musicologists that all songs develop and feed off of each other and a long history of Western music tradition. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I've often thought that juries cut celebrities a break when they appear before them. But here, Perry testified and even volunteered to sing Dark Horse when there were technical difficulties. So is it no longer the case about juries and celebrities? My own personal experience with juries and celebrities is it depends on the celebrity. It's not an across-the-board determination one way or the other. And indeed, this verdict seems to raise some questions about the popularity of Katy Perry amongst lay people. The same with Robin Thicke, whereas with the Led Zeppelin jury trial, it was clear to any observer that the presence of several of the band members in the courtroom made a huge difference in the outcome there. So I think it's a celebrity by celebrity <laughs> impact, and it depends on how that particular celebrity is viewed by lay people. Interesting. So much for star power, I guess. Another point that I thought was interesting was that this was a collaboration. Her song, Dark Horse, was a collaboration with her producers, a songwriter, and a rapper. So does the jury verdict mean that they collaborated on copying this song as well? Well, that's what the jury verdict suggests, and particularly the award, which a portion amongst the different defendants amounts. And I think this is the real problem here, at least for Katy Perry. My understanding is that with these part rap, part pop songs, the producer often comes to the performer, in this case, Katy Perry, with the beat. In other words, she is then adding her overlay to the beats. And so I have to raise the question, why should she be liable for copyright infringement if the core of the alleged infringement is the beat. And that is typically brought to her or any performer by the producer in the modern music game. This was a Christian rap song, and Perry claims she never heard it. So this brings up subconscious plagiarism, sort of what happened to George Harrison with his song, My Sweet Lord, and the chiffons, He's So Fine. Yeah, George Harrison is one of the best examples of that. It is not a sufficient defense to say, I didn't hear that or I don't remember hearing it as she did. If the plaintiff, the copyright owner, can show that there was enough airplay of the song, that it was out there, then an argument can be sustained that there was some form of subconscious copying. In other words, she heard it, didn't even realize that she was hearing it, just became ingrained in her subconscious. And then later during her creative process, her subconscious recalled this and inputted into it. So that the courts have blessed that theory, which has always struck me as odd. And it's particularly odd here where she testified, I believe, that she did not bring the beats to the song. The producer did, and yet she got stuck for a hefty chunk of the jury verdict, over $500,000. And subconscious plagiarism makes more sense when it's
it's a song like the Chiffon's He's So Fine, which was all over the place than it is with this song. The other thing is that there was such a big difference between the defense attorneys argued for about $360,000 and the plaintiff's attorneys nearly $20 million in 30 seconds. Can you tell me how the jury decided on this amount? Well, it's fascinating, these trials, because it reveals the dark underside of the music business and how a song will gross an enormous amount of money. But there are all these so-called expenses, such as her hairstylist, her clothing, her appearances at events are all deducted from the gross revenues to arrive at a net, which is arguably what the calculation should be split on. And it appears that the jury, for the most part, um, leaned toward the defendants on awarding a lower amount than requested, which may suggest that the jury was uncomfortable with a finding of copyright infringement in the first place, and it may have been a compromised verdict. All right. We'll find them liable, but not award a lot. Thanks so much, Terry. This is even more fascinating after talking to you. That's Terrence Ross, a partner at Cat and Muchen. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.